Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to Health and Safety Conversations. Here's your host, Tom Bourne. Hi, and welcome to Health and Safety Conversations. I'm your host, Tom Bourne, and with me today is the wonderful Michael Cornane. Michael, how are you? Good, mate. How are you? Uh, thanks for having us. Oh, my absolute fantastic at the moment. Down in the uh, lovely city of churches in the in the marvellous Playford Hotel, which have looking after us extremely well. Just spent three days in the Barossa Valley, which I'm not a wine person, and my wife's a wine person, but even she didn't know that the Barossa Valley apparently is 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 the best in Australia for red wines, and quite a shame because we're not red wine drinkers, but that's another story. Lovely part of the country, and currently sitting at about in mid-spring at 16 degrees. So what's the weather like up in Brisbane? Mate, we're not too bad today. I think it's up over thirty degrees. So it's yeah, we've had it good over the weekend. We didn't get it in the in the rugby and the in the AFL, but uh, it was no. The, the weather's been beautiful. Actually, it's been uh, typical Queensland spring. So no, it's been great. Fantastic. All right, Michael, you've got a, a very long history in safety, but why did it begin in safety, and whereabouts did it begin in safety? Well, my journey started, and as you probably can hear from my accident, that I'm I'm not from from Brisbane or from Australia. So I came to Australia in 2001, and I was a chef in Ireland. And in 2003, about four months before I got married, I was in a gas explosion where I I sustained burns over about 24% of my body. From there. I spent about three weeks in hospital and about nine months off work. And, and following that, I had to look for another career. That I didn't want to go back into the kitchen. And I ended up in, in food, um, doing quality and, and ordering and recipes and all that type of stuff. And eventually, I found my way into a safety role in manufacturing in about 2005. I've been, I've worked in food probably for about seven or eight years before I, I kind of ventured away from food manufacturing and and ended up in heavy industry foundries and then into utilities where I'm working today. So yeah, it's been a bit a very interesting journey. Number one, getting into safety and trying to understand how it all worked and 
initially it didn't re make an awful lot of sense to me why we had all of these KPIs for for safety and that they weren't actually improving the state of safety. So but that's another story. Yeah, yeah. So currently with PowerLink, is that correct? Yeah, I've been for, with PowerLink for about two and a half years. Uh, originally, I started when I came into the organization as an organizational learning specialist, which is not somebody that trains people, but the opposite. It's facilitating learning teams and, and different activities. So really trying to, I suppose, operationalize operational learning and creating different tools to help people tell their story about work. So yeah, it's been an interesting time. And currently, my role is a senior HSE strategy, uh, risk and performance advisor, which is a very long title. I still haven't found an acronym that can actually shorten it, but basically what it means is building frameworks to to kind of implement safety to or safety differently or the new view into the organization. Okay. PowerLink, major energy provider in Southeast Queensland, is that correct? So PowerLink is a transmission, electricity transmission company and we're government or a GOC so basically looking after all the state of Queensland so we take all of the power from the generators um, and then we hand it back over to our cousins or our brothers as they say in Energy Queensland or Energex it, to back down to the distribution network so so we've got a we essentially control all of the network all over Australia being the middleman. Okay. Speaking of safety, is there any specific sort of risks that your people face on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, look, it's really interesting being out with our people and looking at the type of work they do because we we essentially cover all corners of of Queensland and, you know, the, the countryside that our people travel. So even just getting to work, you know, traveling along easements and is always a challenge. And then Especially now, we've got the big energy the energy revolution here in Queensland, where we, renewables is a big part of what we do. So you know there there are always uh, challenges with um, landholders, um, and 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 understandably so. You know, getting out there and just getting onto properties to 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 be able to do their work, and obviously the the big one is HV. You know, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty dangerous industry to be in. But at the same time, it's 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 something that we've done very well for a long period of time. We've, I must say, this is probably one of the best organisations I've ever been, I've worked in, because the the pride and the the the, the level of skill in our people is amazing. So yeah, we they do some pretty cool work. Okay. Now, just a, a professional question: What do you think currently? the biggest challenge that safety professionals are facing across Australia? Oh, this is a really interesting one for me because I suppose the the answer is it depends on who you're working for. Right? Mm. There's, you know, different organisations are looking for different types of safety professionals. And I think the biggest challenge is actually knowing um, what you're actually supposed to be doing as a safety professional and and, and trying to understand how you mm -hmm. meant to operate. So you've got one extreme where the organizations expect you to be the police and, and really get out there and, and t you know, tell people to put on their PPE and you know fix behavior uh, to the other extreme on the other side where you become more of a facilitator and a coach. So I suppose kind of summarizing that it's it's 
trying to understand your own identity and what you're actually supposed to be doing as a safety professional is probably the biggest challenge. Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing a bit of a a bit of a movement even in some of the heavier industries where we're seeing the safety advisor role move away from that day-to-day administrative type situation and more back into the purely advisor role where the organisations are saying we're, we're, we're now a bit more of a mature organisation and a lot of those day-to-day safety roles can be managed by frontline supervisors. Is that what you're seeing as well? Yeah, look, definitely. I think even particularly in, and I'm part of the, I would say the safety too, safety differently movement where, you know, we believe that the the people are the experts in the work and rather than trying to um, tell somebody what to do or, you know, how to do their work or how to be safe in the context of their work, because it's really difficult for us to do that unless we're we're walking with them, we're there every day out in the field um, to understand their context. So, so for me, my belief is that we we should be there to support or, or be the voice of the worker, um, where, you know, we can, I suppose, elevate and tell their story up through the organisation around the challenges that they face. So I'm almost being an advocate for people, and yes. There are some times where our expertise is called for when it's to do with, you know, reporting or any legislative requirements. And and even then, I don't think safety people are good at giving legal advice. But there are people out there that are really specialists in their in their skill and have come from industries that do add a lot of value to organizations. But you know, I see my role as being that one who creates the opportunities for people to have a voice and 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 also help leaders to understand the context of what's going on within their teams uh, and being able to prepare the leaders for the stories that might come out of the field. Um, so, yeah, it's a it's a different, I think, a very different time from when I started doing safety, where it was very much around maintaining and managing a, a HTC management system and, and making sure we met our KPIs and injury management and all that type of stuff, which is very much safety work, not the safety of work. So, yeah. Speaking of KPIs, what's some of the strangest KPIs that you've actually seen or or worked with? I won't say I think I won't say I've seen anything strange, but for me, I think the fact that using lost time injuries or total recorded injury frequency rates as a as a measure of safety was not particularly adding people's bonuses or putting a monetary value with them. It, defeated the purpose of what we were trying to achieve and keeping people safe and, and actually stopped that those stories coming from the business because leaders weren't interested in in hearing uh, problems. They wanted to know that everything was green. And they call it the watermelon effect. It might have been green on the outside, but it was definitely red in the middle, right? And and within the, the leaders' context too, you know, you can understand that they're being measured on their measure of safety performance was the absence of injuries, which, yeah, it defeated the purpose of what you were trying to do in the first place. It's actually keep people safe. Mm. I, I always found it counterproductive. It was, it was one all all the KPIs when you attach financial rewards. I always think it's um, they're designed for a good purpose and well intentioned, but we haven't really looked at the the realistic outcome of it is and it's 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 quite usually the opposite in t- what we end up with and what we've intended one of the strangest 
KPIs I've seen is we have a KPI that uh, 96% of the workforce has to complete something like five take fives each per day. And it always got me. I was like, where did you get the five from? What, what, do, was it based on something? Was it based on pre-start after each break or something or when the conditions changed and why five? But then it was even worse because you found out that organizations which were doing this weren't even reading the take fives. They were just measuring the volume of paperwork that went in. And you start to really go, is this really about improving anything or is this just about the goal has become more important than the actual safety performance? So yeah, KPIs, I'm not a a huge fan of them in safety because I don't know what they're really based on, to be honest. Yeah, look, I agree. You know, because you do more of something, it doesn't always mean you you do it better, right? Um, and if you give people numbers to achieve as part of their roles and you, you add dollars to it, they're going to achieve it regardless of what you think, right? Um, so the drivers, anything that, that stops people from meeting that objective is not helpful. I think some of the, uh, some of the, the crazy things that I've seen in this space is people actually being performance managed to do all of this work or actually given roles to actually to manage this stuff and just to count the numbers as you say not even look at the content of the information i think one of the the, the things that we're, we're trying to play with at the moment is assurance activities right because um we've looked at the type of information we've been getting back out of our inspections and and, and things like that and we've done a lot of them over the last few years and the the information, there is some good information, but it's very limited for the amount of activity we can actually get out of them. So the, the amount of improvement you get out of those activities is not worth the investment or the time that people are doing it. So we're, we're doing different activities, but looking for quality information to drive specific and better outcomes around risk. So yeah, look, it's it, the demonstrated safety is is something that's that can be quite damaging to an organization because people don't trust the safety team as a function because they see safety as driving a lot of this activity that doesn't actually add any value. So you lose your credibility. Yeah. yeah. You've already mentioned safety too and new view safety. I always think of safety these days as being where you basically walk into an ice cream shop. There's a multitude of flavors and colors and there's something for everyone. What makes safety too or new view safety attractive for you? I look, I think it's the idea of starting with the work, and I think there's a nuance there. You know, traditionally we have we've we've built our HSE systems to to meet compliance, right? And that's been the 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 focus. And then what we've tried to do is ensure that our people met that compliance activities, right? And the tension has always been that the system isn't always right. The system doesn't always reflect how work is actually done. So the, the idea of starting with the work and with the people and understanding how they actually operate and then working back the other way and making sure your system supports that work seems like a more, it just makes sense to me rather than the other way around. But in saying that, I don't think it's is it, it's one or the other. I think it's a blend of both because you still need the basic principles of risk management, right, are, are still there. They don't change. Um it's it's really about making sure that system is fit for purpose and it's actually doing what's intended and you know focusing on critical risk for me is probably the 
the the best thing you can do. I, I think this focus on all injuries and the type of information you get out of your injury management system that really doesn't give you a lot of foresight into where your next big thing is going to happen or you know the next the next big accident or the next big injury is going to happen so so being more proactive and understanding how people are successful 99% of the time it's a lot more fun too because you're not you're not dealing in a crisis right you're just talking to people about their work and I, you know I love it because you learn a lot and you you get to understand the complexity of what it is to to do work in an organization based you know from the guys doing the work in the field so yeah I think it's for me much more intuitive and makes a lot more sense and a lot more value adding as well you know i could never understand it this you know going back to our earlier point around doing all of this activity and not actually improving anything off the back of it and so for me sometimes doing less is more but as long as you're doing something to improve or manage the risk which is much more beneficial for the people at the front line so yeah yeah have you found over your time that Sometimes in industry, it, it takes it takes a lot of time and effort to actually change that traditional view of safety. Yeah, I, it does. To be honest, I don't think when you start talking about the theory of safety differently or, or safety too, it, it kind of can be very divisive, particularly because we've 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 been saying one thing for thirty years or, or more around you know this is how safety is done, and now we're coming in and saying that. You know everything that was done before is bad, right? I don't think that's helpful. Um, mm. Number one is we've done a lot of great work and a lot of good things, uh, mind you. Some things that weren't so great, we want to we want to change, but we're not going to try and change everything. The things that are really good, we want to keep, but but changing organisations is really difficult. But when you actually break it down to, and this is the type of things that that we've been fairly successful in in doing at the moment is actually going in and understanding what are people's greatest challenges or what's their greatest worry at the moment and then helping them to get good information on that and and then being able to to know that that's managed or improved it's much more beneficial than than going out and grabbing a piece of your HSE management system such as working at heights and you know in our organization we don't just work at heights we do, we work with HV, we climb towers, you know, we're dealing with load on attention, we're doing, we're dealing with dropped objects, you know, all these, these activities all at once. So when you package it all together and start with the work and understand how the work is done. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Then you can understand how people are actually managing risk in real time. Whereas if you only focus on one part of that, you're not, you're not getting the full story. And then 
that's why our systems um, don't always help reflect how work is actually done. And so I don't think you can you can actually check that you know that that single high risk activity without actually understanding how that that work is done really well. Yeah. Couple of questions with new view safety. All right. Firstly, how do you how do you convince people and build up trust so that they are willing to talk to you about their job and what the risks are involved with? Because I, I know from a lot of my experience that you start from a position of virtually zero trust with a safety department. And if you if you if you raise your head, you're either inviting criticism at the least, or you're potentially putting your neck on the line. How do you bridge that gap initially? The first thing you do is any activity you do, and and we've had this experience where we've run learning teams, and sometimes it's not the first learning team you run that's going to be successful. It may be the tenth because people have to experience and and believe you when you say you're you're not going to take that information and weaponize it and use it against them mm. and, and on the other side of it I, there's no point in doing a learning team or any activity like that if if your leaders are going to respond badly to the information so it's actually spending time with the leaders to get them ready to hear the stories in the first place is is one thing and the next thing is actually making sure you you respect the the privacy and the identity of people when they tell you something in confidence so it's the only way you can build trust and it, it's not it's not it's not done really quickly or easily it, it takes a long time to do that um particularly where you've got people have seen the safety churn over time new programs new initiatives mm-hmm. and a lot of it was always put down on the worker so it's very hard to change that long-term view of how safety has been done without actually proving it so you've got to actually keep your word number one and then you've got to do it over and over again and yeah, it can be broken very easily, very, very easily. Yeah. Do leaders really want to know the truth? They do if it doesn't genuinely from every leader that I've spoken to, yes, they do. They mm. honestly do. And and because I don't think any of them would want what they don't want, you know, what they really want to know is that next thing that's gonna come and bite them. Uh, as a leader, and they do care for their staff. I've, I haven't seen another leader yet that doesn't really care for their people. What we've had to do is get rid of those things that stop them from hearing the stories, but also protect them as well, because they're workers too, right? Mm. Um, and and make sure that we're we're supporting them as much as we can. But we we did we've been successful in removing those those measures of our LTIFR and TRIFR. They're still in our organisation as a thing but it's not something we talk about more broadly. But at the end of the day, they're not against our leaders' KPIs either. So it's not it's not a barrier for us to be able to bring stories to them. And and genuinely what we find is when we look at, you know, going back to that question at the beginning about what they want to find out about or what are the things that keep them awake at night, if you actually go and help them to do that, then it starts building up trust and 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 they do they are interested in hearing the stories, but at the same time they've they've got to manage multiple risks all at the same time too. It's not just a safety risk that they've got to consider. So. Yeah, interesting enough, I was I've visited this one particular site. I just want to talk about now a, a number of times, and it's it's a progressive company, and it's a company where. I think they've come a long way in the last 10 years in their views of safety. But interesting enough, I was up there a few weeks ago and 
sure enough, I go to the bathroom at one of the many occasions you might go. And all of a sudden I see there's there's little, there's little stickers up on the mirror again. You know, the ones which says the person that is responsible for your safety, you are looking at. And I just was like, this is crazy. They've come so far. And now all of a sudden, someone's taking them back a, t- a step or two. How hard is it to get new views of safety and new ideas to actually not just be introduced, but to take root and to actually, you know, survive instead of going one step forward, two step back? Yeah, I think it's critical mass. I really do. I think it, number one, it's it's um, the the theories behind new view and all the rest. There is no rule book on how you implement these things, right? That's the first thing. Uh, I think for us, it's it's trying to find that integration between existing processes that that already exists in organizations. So I said risk management is one of those, right? That every organization has to do. It's using and the first. The first step in any risk management is understanding context, right? You can't understand context unless you've actually got the true story. So to get the true story, you need psychological safety to find out what's really happening. So I actually think it's part of normal risk management, but it's 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 actually getting that information from the front line. To make it stick like anything, you still have to systemize it. It's not something that's, that, has, that can be really loose, but I think at the same time, uh, what you can do is you can experiment with different ways of working. Once you understand the theories and understand what the tools can do, you need to find out how that can actually fit into your organization in the context of your own organization and that operation operating rhythm, and then build that into your systems um, because it doesn't exist just somewhere out, in, out on the side. It has to be part of everything you do. But I suppose the way you make it stick long-term is actually build it into your operational processes, not actually have it sitting as a separate HSC system. And I think that's where the, the secret source is. What we've done in safety for a long period of time is build all of these systems and quality have done the same and our environment have done the same and you know finance have built all these different systems that sit separate and outside of how people actually do work. So if you actually build it into how they operate and, and the information is useful, I think it becomes more successful and more sustainable over a long period of time. But I think there's there's a long way for us to go to actually do that. And then, as I said, you need critical mass. You need a lot more organizations playing in this space and coming up with new ways of working uh, and new ways of implementing it in, and but also sharing it more broadly across the industries and, you know, in different forums. So I think, I don't know if we do enough of that yet. I think this community is quite small. We're very lucky here in Brisbane. We've got some great people around that we can bounce ideas off of. Um, and, you know, I talk to people all over the world all the time. And, you know, it's really just trying to find out the best thing that suits your organization and build it within. But, yeah, and share. Get as get on as many forums as you can and share it and talk to as many people as you can and then show them and then, yeah, build it into their systems. But, yeah. Is organisational learning a real thing? I think it is. It's always been there, but we haven't been deliberate about it. I think if you think about the conversations we would have always had, you know, you think about sometimes when when incidents happen and you go into the field and you talk to different people within different work groups, they'll go, oh, that's always been like that. This has been happening for ages or this has happened so many times before. 
that information always floats around in our organizations. And even outside of safety, there's a lot of other tools and data that we collect um, that can help inform this space. Yes, it is a real thing, but I think what we're trying to do now is deliberately capture it and and start using it to support the work improvement more more importantly and then and safety then off the back of that. But yeah, I yeah, I do I do believe it's a real thing. Oh, good. Overall, do you think we're becoming safer in the workplace these days? Yeah, I, I do. I do think we are becoming safer. I think you know, inherently businesses want to do better. I really do. You know, if I take the context of our organization at the moment, we're going through a massive change and uplift in the amount of people and work that we're doing across the organization. So it's we're never static. We're constantly moving. And and that's the norm for us and will be for the next 10, 15 years. Um, and I think that's the same for most organizations. I think if you're not moving in with the times and evolving, you, you don't really, you know, you don't really get better. But I think, yeah, I think it definitely it is getting better. And I think there's more technology out there that can help us to support that as well. And, you know, we're getting, I think we're getting a bit smarter about how we do this too, most of the time. There's still things that we're doing that, that still don't make sense. But I think over time, yeah, it, it is. But I don't think we'll ever prevent all fatalities either. I think that's, yeah, yeah. that's I think that's, you know, I'd love it to happen. Absolutely would love it to happen, but I don't think it'll happen. Yeah, yeah. That's That was the next thing I was going to say. Because in Australia, we've seen in particular, and I, was, I seem to believe it's happening in, in the developed world, that in the last few years, we seem to have plateaued. We seem to have plateaued. We're not dropping the number of fatalities across the board, or across the country. And to me, that has to be a little concerning because safety we're always about continuous improvement and we seem to be getting smarter and and better at managing things but the fatalities are stubbornly resistant to going down at the moment and i just wonder is it is there any way forward that we can actually you know continue what what do you think is there any way forward in this yeah i think taking up on that point you made before around continuous improvement continuous improvement is doing the same thing better over time hmm. i think what we actually need to do is is shake that up completely and, and do something different to get a different result hmm. you know it's the definition of insanity if you're doing the same thing over and over again you're getting the same result so so for us i think we have to innovate and and and, and, and i think we will will definitely reduce the number of fatalities over time but it's going to take a lot more work because it's a lot harder to fix the things we have to fix now we i think we've mostly through industry fixed a lot of the, the low-hanging fruit where it's been difficult is the stuff that we're, we're talking big dollars big the really big things that need to be fixed to to prevent those things from happening and you know you think about the current environment or the economic environment you know companies they'll they will always take shortcuts you know to save money and sometimes it is at the expense of safety so I don't know if you'll ever, and you won't beat that out of people. It's not something the regulator can can manage. But but yeah, I think we can. I think we can. We can definitely reduce it further. But uh, do I think it'll ever stop it? I don't think so. Mm. All right. The biggest challenge you've faced in your safety career so far, what would it be? Ah, uh, 
I think there's there's probably two things. The first thing is getting my head around new view new view theories and trying to implement it because it it took me a while to do it. Like inherently, it makes sense when you when you look at it, and but actually taking that information and trying to apply it has been really difficult. And I think that's the challenge for most people in this space is is taking those theories and applying it. The second thing is actually trying to convince a whole organization <laughs> that it's that it's it's the right way to go. And when you when you show people how it actually works, it makes sense. Just telling people doesn't work. Um, they have to feel it and they have to experience how it how it actually happens. But for me, they're probably the two biggest things that are that have really challenged me over the last you know fifteen years or sixteen years I've been involved in this industry. And uh, there's no easy answer. But one of the ways we've tried is by working with the people and experimenting to see what actually works. But yeah, it takes a long time. And I think the biggest challenge on the other side of that is we could get new leaders tomorrow that were completely against this from another industry, and it would mm. it would take all of this away. So. I think that's my biggest fear, but where we are now, it's we've got some great leaders with, that support it. So we're making progress, but it takes a long time. It'll take us another three or four years before we get to where we want to get to. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I really do take your point about new leaders and potentially dismantling all you've achieved. That That's my fear, and that's why I, I brought up organisational learning because, as you said, if you don't embed this in processes – the greatest fear is one leader, one safety leader will come in and we'll be back 20 years. And I think that's actually a, a, a genuine reality that could happen, which is quite scary because I don't think we want to ever go back to the days of name, blame and shame. But I don't think, I think those ideas are stubbornly persistent, put it like that. Yeah, I, I think if you can make the connection with the, the operational learning back into that traditional risk management i think that can be really useful because it underpins uh, or it definitely supports that um there are a lot of and because we we look and focus on work the opportunities are essentially the list gets longer because we were finding a lots of bits of information i think that the challenge for people is what to prioritize uh, and to be honest if you if you're working with them to find out what they're what they're interested in or what they want to learn about, then it's it's value for them. I think where it becomes really difficult is if you're if you're going out doing things that are, you know, working against them or creating, I suppose, a big long list of things that they have to do, uh, and that may not always add value. Um, it's not really useful for them. So I think the challenges around gathering all this data and being able to uh, get it to a point where it's un- easily understandable, but also you can do something with it to help support and manage risk. So. Yeah. Now, Michael, on another side, you do some lovely community volunteering. What exactly do you do? Mate, I've been I've been coaching football, as in soccer, for for a long time. I, I think in the last, I coached both of my kids, and and then when they got sick of me, I had to hand them over when they got about ten years of age to other people. I've done a few things, you know, from from working with Special Olympics, you know, fundraising with them, and doing stuff for. I was on the on our football committee for our football club as well. And for my sins, I did that over COVID. And it's probably one of the most challenging times I had is in the club, but I loved it. And and then I think at the moment, my passion is is trying to get the word out around safety differently. <laughs> so that's more of my community work at the moment, trying to get it 
get to as many people and 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 you know help them understand the the theories and and the practicalities behind it. So yeah, oh, beautiful, beautiful. Just with soccer, did you manage to get along to see any of the women's World Cup? Yeah, I went to see Ireland and, and Nigeria here in Brisbane, so that was good fun, great atmosphere. And then I probably wouldn't admit this to my English friends, but I went and saw the England versus Haiti as well. So it was, but it was brilliant. It was like it was the best. It's some great atmosphere. I just love football games, and I've got two boys, teenage boys, and to to bring them along and and show them that you know the women's game is a still a good game of football, and and they were you know they had a great time, so it was really cool. And yeah, the the buzz around the place was. It was amazing. It was yeah, definitely a highlight for me. Oh, beautiful. All right, Michael, we might leave it there today. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on, but we have run out of time. But I do look forward to speaking to you again sometime in the future. Mate, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to Health and Safety Conversations with Tom Bourne. Until next time, stay safe and enjoy the rest of your week. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.